for standing. You can be seated. Uh, pull your Bibles close. We're going to be looking at all six chapters of the book of Galatians. Uh, the book of Galatians has six chapters, and uh, I don't want you to panic because uh, I know that pastors been going through uh, lots of books of the Bible over the past two years, and the way he does it is much better than the way I'm going to do it. We're going to look at one scripture or one portion of scripture from each chapter. And there are six commands in the book of Galatians, one strong command or reminder from every chapter. And we're going to look at all of them, hopefully today. And, uh, and we're going to glean what Paul uh, was writing under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost for us today. Do you believe that every word of the Bible is inspired of God, that God breathed on holy men of old, and they wrote not according to their own will or volition. They wrote according to the Holy Spirit moving upon them, and God guided them, and uh, it speaks to us today. Every word is alive. Aren't you glad the word is alive? It's not dead. Uh, it's not irrelevant. It's why you can, you can open up your Bible and read a passage of Scripture and it is more relevant today than it has ever been before because the word of God is living and powerful. And I thank the Lord for it. So I want to take you uh, to the first slide. And this is Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1 and verse number 10. And it says this, for do I now persuade men or God or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So Paul uh, was uh, constantly asking what, what I think of as rhetorical questions. Have you ever had someone ask you a question and uh, it wasn't a question at all? It was really just a way to get you to agree with them. That's called a rhetorical question. Uh, we parents do it to our kids all the time. For example, I'll say to my children, Didn't, did I tell you to clean your room? And, uh, of course, I did probably about 20 times. And, uh, and really, I'm just looking to remind them that, yes, I told you to clean your room. And Paul did this regularly in his letters. He, he asks a question. He said, you know, am I here uh, to be a people pleaser? Am I here to persuade uh, you? Or am I trying to please men? Uh, and then he answers his own question. And he says, if, if I were here as a man of God trying to please you, if I'm trying to please people, then I can't be a servant of Christ. And by the way, that's true for every single person in this room. Did you know that you cannot try to be a people pleaser and a God pleaser at the same time? Hello. Now, some people want to please God, but they also want to please people. The problem is, and, and many sincere people go through life this way, they're torn. It's this constant struggle. I, I want to please God, and I want to please people. The problem is, the moment you start becoming a slave to the opinions of people, you are not a servant of God. Because you can't have two masters. You can't be a servant to the opinions and the whims of, of culture and the whims of current trends and ideas and be a true servant of the one true living unchanging God. And so 
Paul is making this point that I'm a servant of God. I'm no longer a slave to sin. I'm no longer a slave to this world. I'm no longer a slave to your opinion of me. I am a servant of Christ. And he says in verse 11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. In other words, when I preach the gospel... It's not because I want to please you, and it's not even because it's what I want to say. I'm preaching what God has given us to say, what God has given me to preach according to his word. And by the way, all preachers have a duty and an obligation to preach the word of God without changing it to make other people more comfortable. Hello. Now... I understand, and, and really, by nature, I don't like conflict. That's my whole personality. Uh, I, I, I don't enjoy conflict. Um, you know, I'm really a laid-back person. If I have to have a conflict, I will, but I, I don't enjoy it. I don't enjoy disagreements. I don't like it at all. If I can go out of my way to avoid a disagreement, well, bless God, I'm going to go out of my way unless I just have to. And sometimes you do just have to have a little bit of a disagreement with somebody. But as a minister of the gospel, I am in great danger if I begin to change the word of God or soften the word of God or adjust the word of God so that I can avoid conflict while preaching the word. And many preachers get messed up. In fact, oftentimes good men get messed up because they want to please people. And sometimes it's because they truly love people and they, they're uncomfortable uh, saying things that God requires them to say that makes people uncomfortable. But if you are uncomfortable saying things that cause people to sometimes have to feel a little convicted, then you should get out of the ministry. Hello? Just get out. Because let me tell you, uh, you study the word of God all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament, men of God were constantly having to say things that caused people to be uncomfortable. In fact, probably the one who made people the most uncomfortable was Jesus himself. Sometimes he had to say things to crowds uh, that were extremely offsetting, off-putting. But this was because men of God are required to love people enough to tell them the truth, even when it hurts. Amen? Even when it hurts. Now, Brother Ryan, are you saying that we should be intentionally unkind or intentionally make people uncomfortable? Absolutely not. I don't believe that we should go around with a chip on our shoulder. I don't believe that we, that'd be a good place to say amen. I don't believe that we should go around trying to create situations where people feel awkward. I think we should present the gospel and truth lovingly we should present it as uh, attractively as possible but the moment you start changing truth or adjusting what is the truth to make it more attractive or comfortable you are now in error and you're a false preacher a false prophet or if you're sitting on a pew and you're doing it with your loved ones you are now a false preacher and a false prophet even if you've never stood behind a pulpit and many times in fact most of the time this comes from our desire to have the approval of others. And Paul is saying in Galatians chapter 1, do not live for the approval of others. 
Amen? Don't live for the approval of others. Don't, don't live your life hoping for the approval of others. You know, we live in, in a generation, and, and I'm right there in it, right there in it. And I have to check myself sometimes uh, where, you know, people post things on social media, and uh, their whole day can be ruined if they don't get as many likes as they think they should get. Did you know that's a thing? That's a thing. People's whole day gets messed up because I was talking to a young person one time and uh, they looked like they'd lost their best friend. I said, what's wrong? They said, I've been posting stuff on Instagram and uh, not one person has liked anything I posted for the last three months. And it had caused them to go into a real depression. And you may be laughing at that, but they were actually having an identity crisis as a person feeling unloved, feeling like they didn't fit in because somewhere deep inside of us, we all long for approval. Even people who seem like they don't, we, we want to be accepted. We want, we want people to think highly of us. We want people to take our opinion seriously. And to a certain degree, that's okay. But there's a dangerous line that you can begin to walk where you care more about the approval of people than you do the approval of God. True children of God determine in their heart, in their spirit, in their mind. It doesn't matter what the world thinks about me. I'm serving the Lord. It doesn't matter what they say about me. I'm going to be pleasing to the Lord. It doesn't matter if they laugh at me. I'm going to be pleasing to the Lord. I may look countercultural in my dress and in my speech and in the way I act and the way I live and the way I conduct myself, but it doesn't matter to me because I'm not looking for the approval of the world. I'm looking for the approval of God. Can I get an amen? And, and so, you know why many people leave holiness? Well, it got so quiet. Do you know why a lot of people leave holiness? It's not because I have never seen anyone abandon holiness reading their Bible more. I've, oh, wow. Y'all got so quiet. I, I've never seen anyone become a more immodest dresser. Because they were really studying the word of God. Everybody okay? I've never seen men become more feminine and women become more masculine because they were really digging into the word of God. Mm-hmm. I've never seen someone who uh, spent most of their life believing that they should abstain from drugs and alcohol and, and addictions and smoking and all of those things. And suddenly go to it because they were really, really reading their Bible. And they've got strong doctrinal points. Do you know why, you know why people usually start trending in an, in an unholy direction? And yet nowadays that nobody backslides anymore. You know that, right? Nobody backslides. They just change churches. There aren't any backsliders in the world. They just love Jesus. But do you know why? Almost every time they wanted the approval of people. They wanted to fit in at work. They wanted to fit in with their unsafe family. They wanted to fit in with people that they grew up with. They wanted to fit in in environments where they felt uncomfortable. They felt countercultural in some way. They desired. I have friends who I graduated Bible college with, and then they went on to 
to go uh, receive doctorates and master's degrees and very, very secular, liberal, uh, anti-God universities. And they abandoned their moral center and they left the things of God. Why? Because they wanted the approval of people that they perceived as extremely intelligent. And so they longed for that. And the moment you start longing for the approval of people more than the approval of God, you will start trending towards unrighteousness every time. And so Paul is addressing the grave danger of desiring to live for the approval of people. And I'm going to repeat myself here because this is a vital point. Oftentimes people are confused because they do want to please God. How many want to please God? They want to please God. I know many people uh, who are not pleasing God who want to please God. <laughs> if y'all could see your faces, you'd, you'd, y'all are so serious today. I know a lot of people who want to please. Did you know you could, wanting to do something and doing something are not the same thing? You know that, right? I can, uh, I can want to do the dishes, but that doesn't mean I'm going to do the dishes. I can want to have a clean house, but that doesn't mean I'm going to have a clean house. And so many people truly desire to please God. I think the house example is a good one because that, that's, I'm preaching right to myself. I want to have a clean house, but I don't want to do what it takes to have a clean house. I want to have clean laundry, but I don't want to fold laundry. Bless the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. I do. I I, I want to come home and I want it to be spotless, but I don't want to do any of it. That's how a lot of people are with God. They want to please God. They want to go to heaven. They want to do right. They want to be holy, but at the same time, they really want to fit in with people. This is the... This is the line that every, every individual has to walk and make a decision. That's why they used to sing old songs like, I've made my decision. I've staked my claim. In other words, they're saying, I, I, I've decided. One writer said, I have decided to follow Jesus. In other words, I'm not following you or you or you. I'm following Jesus. And, and when you follow Jesus, sometimes you're, in fact, most of the time, you're going to take the path less traveled. You're going to take the, the narrow way that, that turns a lot. And it, it's not the way where most people, there's not a lot of footprints. Not as many on the great big highway over there that everyone else is. Everybody okay with this? You know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just talking the very words of Jesus right now. And, and so when you start following Jesus, you're really making a decision. I am willing to... Go through and suffer the disapproval of people. And, you know, we, we kind of dramatize it as modern Christians, you know, because, you know, we might stand out at work or we may not, uh, you know, do the same entertainment that other people do. And, and sometimes people might kind of act a little funny about it. We don't, you know, we're not going to be immodest at the beach like everyone else in the summer. You know, so we feel like we stick out a little bit and we're a little uncomfortable. And we really think that's a big deal. But, you know, if, if you were in the early church, uh, 
following Jesus and, and having the disapproval of others um, meant you might be stoned to death. You might be crucified upside down. They might boil you in oil like they did John the Revelator and exile you to an island somewhere all by yourself. By the way, this is another sermon for another day, but when you go into exile because you decided to follow God, God will start giving you revelation in the middle of your exile, and God will start giving you visions and dreams and moving in your heart and mind and spirit, and he'll begin to reveal things to you that he will not reveal to others when you're willing to go to the island and suffer for Jesus. What happened to John the Revelator? And so this is a decision everyone has to make in their heart. And many people do not have it settled. I'm, I'm, I feel it in the Holy Ghost right now. I'm speaking to people right now. You have not settled in your heart whether or not it's more important for you to please God or to please men. You want to please God. I'm not saying you don't. But you're just not sure if pleasing God is really more important than pleasing people. It's hard for you, and I understand the struggle, but you better get it figured out really quick because the Lord is coming back very, very soon, and when he comes, he's looking for a spotless bride. He's looking for a bride dressed in white. He's looking for people full of oil in their lamp who are ready to go and be with him forever. Amen. All right, we'll go to the next slide. Y'all are so quiet on that one. So we'll go to number two, and we'll look at Galatians 2 and 20. This is a let's read it together because we most of us could probably quote this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live yet not I, but Christ liveth in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by the faith of the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Aren't you glad he gave himself for you today? He gave himself for me. Now, there's a lot here, and there's a lot of good preaching here, but what I want to pull from it is this command. Don't let your past define you. Don't let your past define you. You've been crucified with Christ. If you've repented of your sins, if you've been buried in the water of baptism in the only saving name, the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have spoken in other tongues as the Holy Ghost came, you are now a new creature in Christ Jesus. You have been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? Your past is dead. The old man is dead. Your old nature is dead. You are not the person that you used to be. And so people look at you and they think you're the same person because you still you still have the same skin color. You still, you know, I'm uh, I'm still losing my hair. I still kind of look the same. But really on the inside, I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. So people come along and say, I remember what you used to do. I remember what you used to be. In fact, the devil is a master at condemnation. Do I need to preach for a minute about the difference between conviction and condemnation? Did you know that conviction is a good thing? 
Conviction is there to remind you that God wants you to change and he loves you enough to remind you you need to change and that his mercy is available. That's what conviction is. It's uncomfortable, but it's there to save us. Condemnation tells us that there is no hope. You can't be saved. There's no grace. There's no future. There's no mercy. And there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so when you start feeling that condemnation from your past, you know that's straight from hell. You need to rebuke it in Jesus' name and say, I am not what I used to be. I know you think I am, devil. I know you're trying to take me back where I used to be, but that's not who I am anymore. I have a new name. I have a new identity. I have a new father. I have a new lifestyle. I have a new heart. I have a new mind. I have been changed and rearranged and transformed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And far too many Christians live under the condemnation of their past. And so they never advance. They never advance in God because they're constantly being pulled by the guilt and the condemnation of their past. But don't let guilt drag you down. If you've put it under the blood, keep it under the blood. If he forgave you, forgive yourself. If he threw it in the sea of forgetfulness, you need to throw it behind you and Leave it there and press forward towards the mark of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Just keep moving into the future and not pulling back towards your past. This is a command. This is a powerful reminder that when we were crucified with Christ, and this is one of the paradoxes of Christianity that it's, it's you know, the, the language, the verbiage is confusing to people who aren't, who didn't grow up in Christianity. You know, we use a lot of phrases and, and biblical terminology that it, it, we're used to it, but it's confusing to people who aren't used to it. And it's the great paradox that you have to die to live. If you want to live, you got to die. And that, that doesn't sound very appealing, but uh, I am glad that we don't have to crawl up on a cross and have nails driven into our hands. But we do have to crawl onto an altar and let nails go through our soul and let conviction bring us to repentance. And that repentance takes us to a grave, a watery grave of baptism in Jesus' name, where you get a new name. <laughs> Aren't you glad you get a new name? <laughs> Aren't you glad you're going to have a new name written down in glory? He's going to take you to a grave, and this is going to take you out of the grave. You're going to be resurrected out of that grave as the Holy Spirit infills you, literally dwells inside of you. you. You are literally haunted by the Holy Ghost, and you begin to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance, and you're resurrected in the Spirit, and you were dead. You were dead in your sin, dead in your trespass, but you crucified that old nature, and then you came up a new person, and now you can walk in that new person person that you are hallelujah you know old time christians really understood the early pentecostals really understood this i think we need to get a new revelation of it because uh, i remember growing up i remember people get the holy ghost and they throw their cigarettes on the altar we need to have a revival of that that kind of dramatic change. They would they would throw their alcohol. They, I remember one time a guy coming in and uh, he took out of his pocket. I didn't even know, Brother Jacques, that you could fit a bottle of alcohol that big in your pocket. But he had a. I mean, it looked like I don't know what kind of jacket he had. But when he pulled it out, <laughs> maybe I was just young. But it was this great big old giant bottle of alcohol, and he was just carrying it around. 
in church with it. And he got the Holy Ghost and he pulled. I mean, it just kept coming and coming. And he pulled it out and he ran outside and he dumped it out in the yard and he came back in speaking in other tongues. You know why? Because he realized I'm a new person now. My past doesn't define me anymore. I used to be an alcoholic, but I'm not an alcoholic anymore. I I used to be a cheater, but I'm not a cheater anymore because, because I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Amen. Next slide. Number three, Galatians 3.27. Galatians 3.27. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. For ye are all one in Christ Jesus. And if ye be Christ, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to to the promise. Now, this is a deep theological passage, and we're going to make it incredibly simple. I'm oversimplifying it, skipping a lot of powerful truths, but I want to give you this point, this command. Find your worth in Christ alone. Find your worth. Or we could say it this way. Uh, maybe I should have said it this way. Find your identity in Christ alone. You know, It's amazing to me that, and I'm going to tread carefully here, it's amazing to me that we live in the year 2019, almost 2020, and not just in the church world, but in the secular world, we still have people who are, there's this, really this huge push these days to identify yourself according to your race or your gender. Everybody okay? Okay. Your race or your gender or your, your identity, some kind of identity that you have, some subgroup that you're in. And, and people find their identity in this. Then, and they, so they coalesce with a group and, and, uh, of people who are just like them and people firm into these tight-knit groups of people who look like them, talk like them, think like them. And everyone's just, you wouldn't think it'd be that way in 2020 when we have so much access to communication and so much so much media around us you'd think that we would that we would be pulling more and more uh, together as a human race but really we're dividing even more but the church is not to be that way i'm going to say that again the church is not to be that way as christians I'm not, we're not identifying ourselves according to our, our gender, our race, uh, our background, the place, the state I was born in, our wealth, none of those things, or our lack of wealth. Those aren't the things that identify us. Those aren't the things we find our worth in. We find our identity and our worth in Christ alone. Aren't you glad you're a Christian today? Aren't you glad you're filled with the Holy Ghost? Aren't you glad you're a child of God? And so I, I don't find my identity in my last name. I'm thankful I'm thankful for my family and I'm blessed and all of those things. But my identity is found in Christ. I'm a child of God. And so I and sometimes I see it in the negative sense. I see people who they never had a father or maybe they had a father, but their father never was a father. You know what I mean? He was a father in name only. I meet people like that sometimes. My heart goes out to them. And and so but they identify themselves. They go through life. Even though they don't say it out loud, identifying as someone who never had a father. And so that 
makes them feel insecure. It makes them feel unloved. It affects all of their relationships. But the moment they are filled with the Holy Ghost and begin to walk in a new life with Christ, they have a heavenly father. They have a new name. And so all of their worth, all of our worth, everyone in this room is wrapped up in Christ. If it's not, it should be. It's not in your education. It's not in your socioeconomic status. It's not in your background. It's not in your intellect. It's not in any of those things. Your worth. And by the way, all of us are equally worthy and unworthy at the foot of the cross. I don't care who you are. You mean, you mean, you mean murderers? Yeah. You mean drug dealers? Yes. See, that gets harder for some of y'all when we start talking like that, doesn't it? Yes. Everybody is equally worthy and unworthy. I say it that way because we're all unworthy. No one's worthy of the blood of Jesus. But he loves us enough to make us worthy. Aren't you glad? He loves us enough to make us worthy to come under the blood and to be his child. We find our worth. If you're trying to find your worth in your house, your car, your money, your status, your job, you're going to end disappointed. You're going to end in sadness. But when you start finding your worth in who you are in God, it changes everything about your life. Can anybody testify to that fact today? It'll change everything in your life. I want to be known in the end. You know, there's, there's a danger, and I, I'm speaking out loud here. There's a danger as, even as preachers that you try to find your worth your self-worth in being a preacher. But you know, in the end, Paul said, we're called to be saints first. The greatest compliment that, that I can receive as an individual is that I was a Christian. That's my desire. I want to be a Christian. You want to be a Christian today? The greatest compliment someone could give you is to say, that's a real Christian. That, that's a real Christ follower. You might do a lot of good things. You might have a lot of success. You might have a lot of things that people look at and say, oh, they're good at that. They're a great singer. They're a great musician. They're, they're, they're artistic. They're intelligent. They're fun. They're witty. All of those things are good. Your personality is good. God wants you to use your personality. But in the end, the greatest compliment that you could receive is that you were a real Christian. That was a Christ follower. That, that's the most Christ-like person. I, I, there's something about when people say, that was a Christ-like person. I was, I was at a, a Walmart a few weeks ago, and I uh, ran into someone who knew some members of our church. And, uh, and, and I, was, I was so uplifted and encouraged. They're not, the person I was talking to is not a member of this church, but they, they worked with people in this church. And they said, those folks are some of the most Christ-like people I have ever known. And, you know, I, I had to push back pride a little bit because I thought, 
I'm proud of my church. I'm so glad that, you know, there's, there's something about, listen, you want to change lives? Just be Christ-like everywhere you go. Just, just let your light shine. Let people see God working in you, and they'll be drawn to that in your life and your spirit. Let's stand. I'm closing. I, here I thought I'd get through all six of them. I only got through three. I want us to lift our hands and ask the Lord to help us to be like him. Could we do that? Lord, I pray that we would be like you in everything that we do. Help us to be holy. Help us to be loving. Help us to be righteous. Help us to be walking according to your word. Help us to be giving towards one another. Give us a right heart, a right spirit, a right mind. We love you and we praise you and we worship you. Help us as we walk into this new year and this holiday season that we would be everything that we ought to be. We give you praise and glory. And everyone said, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name.